Hi, Greg Weldon here, and we are on episode number nine of Money, Markets, and New Age Investing. And man, do we have a lot to talk about like we do every time we do a podcast, but now particularly interesting stuff. Let's first kind of get the business out of the way as it relates to the Fed, market expectations, where the market's at now, kind of breaking out a little bit, but really slowly and in a very narrow range. You know, the expectations for Fed policy have gone just a couple of months ago in March to where you're looking for 3% next year down from five and cuts to begin in 2023. Now the expectation is flat at five and a quarter for the rest of this year and maybe 50, maybe 75 basis points of rate cuts in 2024. That sits much better with the Fed, especially now that Fed policy can be considered a rest, you know restrainful in the sense that CPI has dropped to four, exactly like I said it would a few episodes ago. I said, you're going to get to four. You might even get a three-handle. You still could get a three-handle. The base effect in energy has one or two more months to play out. So I think you could see a three-handle on headline inflation, just as I said months ago, and you're right there now, okay, relative to the policy rate at five and a quarter at the top end. So you have a real Fed funds rate now of plus 125, Versus the previous situation, you know, back in the end of 2021, early 2022, where it was minus 475. So in that vein, it's important to note that the, you know, U.S. has gone from a, you know, a stimulative position monetary policy-wise to a restrictive position, exactly as the Fed said. Now, they said they wanted to get tight and stay there for long. Well, they're not, you know, they're not prohibitively tight right here. But they're tight and tighter. And in that sense, when you have credit contracting, I mean, a chance of recession, you know, out there uh, in by this fall, certainly next year, seem to remain very high, uh, you know, as it stands. I would mention that when you look at a country like the UK, who has policy decision coming up tomorrow, all right, with a 4.5% base rate and 8.5% inflation rate, their real base rate is minus 400. They're behind the curve. They have to keep going more. And the two-year rate differential between the UK and the US just flipped into a positive UK widening interest rate premium. I mean, that's a rarity since the 1990s. One of the reasons you want to watch the British pound going forward. Just had to throw that in there. All right. So you have the dollar, which is kind of bifurcated here. I mean, even the dollar is polarized. Everything's polarized and the dollar's polarized. Why? Because it's going up against the Renminbi, who has 1% inflation, is running a $100 billion a month trade surpluses. They can absorb some of that inflation off the currency transaction, and that's what's happening. All right. But the dollar's also rallied against the South African Rand, big producer of gold, of course, and against the Turkish Lira. We'll talk about Turkey in a minute. But it's also coming off and coming off hard in some cases against currencies like the Mexican peso, the Brazilian real, the Chilean peso, which has a base rate now that is positive 275 and a big interest rate differential uh, showing you a Chilean peso premium. So you're earning more by holding peso just in the interest rate diff. All right. And in this case, as I called in the podcast, one of our kind of unofficial podcast recommendations has been the CEW, the Emerging Market foreign exchange currency ETF, which has exploded to the upside, all right? So we'll take all of that in hand as we move forward. You know, I think the, as, as it relates to the stock market, I'll mention real quickly, you know, it, it's kind of in a bull mode to a very small degree. It's about 30 to 20. In other words, 30% of the stock market in the S, let's consider it this way. I'm talking about the S&P 500. 30% of S&P 500 stocks are in bull trends, bull trends against about 20% of 
uh, the 500 stocks that are in bear trends. That's a very thin margin of only 10% differential. So it's not like this is a really you know, raging kind of bull move here as the S&P has broken out to the upside through some key resistance levels. All right. But I also think, you know, that when the dollar comes off, that'll be interesting. You get kind of a, you know, a boost there, but still laying in wait is an economic reality check. What's interesting in that context is, all right. And, and by the way, the ETF playbook is something that follows these trends in the stock market by sector, by individual shares, all of the 500 uh, stocks. We give you multiple uh, model portfolios, including one that has my discretion over it. And in things that we talk about right here, if you want the latest ETF playbook, which will be published later today, in fact, feel free to uh, shoot me an email at sales at weldenonline.com, not to be too blatantly salesman. We're trying to help people, you know, keep pace with the debasement of their money and uh, through the ETFs and doing currency and commodity ETFs and bond ETFs uh, and even foreign, you know, stock exchange ETFs, you have a much better chance. Bottom line is the Fed survey from New York Fed does a great monthly survey. Most recent survey shows us one thing that I think is really interesting. That people feel worse off and people feel their next year, a year from now, they're going to be worse off than they are now. All right. In September of 2020, kind of at the peak of the pandemic, if you will, when people are in lockdown, the percentage of people that expected things to be better in 12 months was 34%. Those expecting things to be worse was 14%. It is completely flip-flop now. The current situation, 31% of people in this country, households in this country, according to the Fed, New York Fed survey, great survey. Treasure trove of information. 31% expect to be worse off in 12 months against 24% expect to be better off. That's a major flip-flop with a third of people out there saying they expect to be worse off in 12 months in their household financial situation. All right? So in that context, when you get a reality check down the road, it could come from the bond market. All right? If inflation comes down and the Fed stops you know, tightening, isn't that setting up the next inflation already, number one? And number two... One of our big topics today is the U.S. deficit and debt situation. Oh, my God. The focus on bonds could become simply a supply-demand dynamic in the sense that, number one, you don't have the Fed buying $1.44 trillion a year, monthly, daily, weekly, all the time. All right? They're no longer buyers. And they're the largest buyers out there for the last decade. All right? So the biggest buyer is gone, against which supply is rising. Against which, in terms of the deficit, before we even get to the deficit, let's talk about the interest cost. In other words, how much you have to pay out in interest rate you know, demand of the deficit. The current, for 2022, for the last time numbers are calculated for the entire fiscal year, the, debt, the cost of interest payments on the debt was $487 billion. 487, or was it 478? One or the other. It was over 475. It was, I think it was 475. $475 billion, which is larger than any single year's deficit, deficit for the entire year, going all the way back before 2008 to history. I mean, so before 2008, the largest budget deficit for a single year was $458 billion, and that was in 2008 when you had a crisis. The interest payments on the debt right now is more than that. The debt itself, all right, you just had the debt ceiling raised in one of the most you know idiotic you know debates of all time that we have, go through every couple of years, politics at its worst in the U.S. You're already at a $34.1 trillion debt, public debt. You just raised the debt ceiling by $3 trillion. 
You're going to be $37.1 trillion by the end of this fiscal year and $40 trillion by the end of 2024. You will be above $40 trillion in public debt. This is debt that you and I owe, okay? Let's not forget what this is. This isn't the government borrowing this money. This is the government borrowing this money on our behalf, all right? The deficit for May, $240 billion, which is quadruple last year's deficit at the same time. So think about that. All right. I mean, that's kind of mind blowing when you get to there. All right. Out of the last four months, three months have had a deficit above 200 billion. All right. Seven of the last 11 months, a deficit above 200 billion. And when you take the May deficit of $240 billion, it equates to $2.9 trillion for the year. That $3 trillion expansion in the debt ceiling, I could say hypothetically, for fun, I could argue this tongue in cheek, has already been spent. Every dime of it's gone already. You know they're going to have to raise the debt ceiling again, you know, because they have to. Because the government can't exist without borrowing money. They're bankrupt. They're insolvent. I mean, come on, man. U.S. Red Inc. is running right now, in the month of May, at a pace that exceeds a billion dollars an hour. A billion dollars an hour of Red Inc. to run the government. I mean, this is insanity, man. This is public borrowing, running the government that is basically taking the taxpayers' money and, and using it. So we, as the taxpayers, enable this bankrupt government to continue this insanity. I mean, somewhere, somewhere, sometime, someone's going to say enough already. I, I don't even want to go there. But, you know, this is like being the parent of an addicted child. At what point do you cut that child off? I mean, you know, I understand that, you know, that's ridiculous in its, you know, in its reality. But it's a very similar situation, man. It really is. All right. Here's one simple stat that should blow away everybody's mind. In May, government revenue was down 21% versus last year. Spending was up 20% versus last year. Need I say more? I mean, seriously, need I say more? Because I think that that just basically says a lot of what I'm trying to say here. So from that perspective, I think that, you know, again, this whole budget dynamic, this whole debt dynamic at some point hits the bond market. And then when the when the Fed comes in here to try and stimulate policy when you're in a recession, it's not going to be as effective as it has been in the past. And that's the beginning of the end. And again, what are they going to do? They're going to print more money. What are they doing with that? They're debasing the purchasing power of your wealth and income. And this is why you got to do the things you got to do. This is going to become even more intense because there's going to be a problem with food and food price inflation is not dead. It was interesting to see that you had a big kind of flip in the monthly numbers in May in the CPI report. Remember, I break down every single item in food. There's 111 or 108 or depends on which measure you look at. There's a variety of measures. I look at the broadest one, which is 111 uh, components of food at home. All right. The majority now have actually posted a monthly decline and we haven't seen that in a long, long time. All right, but the year-over-year -year rate is still 6%. It's 5.7, all right? It, we have never had a situation where the yield curve was inverted. The dollar was up 20% year-over-year like we had last May. And where food price inflation at home was above 6, that did not result in a recession. Every single time, it's a 100% past probability that that leads to a recession within 12 to 18 months. And we're in that zone coming up, you know, it's still, you know, end of this year. So we'll see how that plays out. But in terms of food price being uh, inflation being sticky, that brings us to our second key topic of the day, El Nino. I've mentioned this before. I talked about this. I watched the NOAA 
you know, all the NOAA sites are great. They really are just phenomenal information. All right. It's where you go if you want to know where a hurricane is coming and stuff like that. But I watch it for El Nino and, and uh, La Nina. All right. And El Nino just had a La Nina. And you never go right to an El Nino. You don't go from one to the other as quickly as we're going now. That's number one. Number two, I started noting it in March when the odds of an El Nino event hit 60% on NOAA's website. Last month, NOAA confirmed we are in an El Nino. It is happening. Okay. What does this mean? Well, to really simplify it, because there's a lot going on here, you know, scientifically, an El Nino means you have a warmer sea surface temperature, SST, if you look at the website. All right. A warmer SST. This affects all kinds of patterns and flow of water, of wind, of all these things, let alone that the rate of radiation uh, generation in the level between 1,000 meters and 1,500 meters below the surface is right now running 40, at a 40% above normal. 40% above normal. So the radiation is causing the sea surface temperature to kind of stay heated. And, you know, again, this is one month. Typical uh, uh, El Nino lasts 18 to 24 months. We're one, two months in, man. Holy mackerel. So from this flow, it affects, certainly it begins in Asia and it comes across the Pacific and impacts the U.S. to a lesser degree than it does South America. All right, South America is a big impact, but it also affects even to go so far as Africa. It causes drought and extreme heat in some places. It causes excessive rain and floods in other places. I mean, so this, again, is as as much of a polarizing thing as that we have uh, out there. In that, in that context, Noah also says that combined with climate change, this may be the most vicious ever El Nino. So we'll see what happens. This is why in March we recommended getting long coffee, Robusta coffee specifically, but also Arabica starting to come to play too. But uh, coffee, cocoa, sugar, and the DBA, right? The sugar is cane, C-A-N-E. Cocoa is, uh, I think it's, uh, no, it's not B-A-L, that's cotton. I forget cocoa off the top of my head. Coffee is uh, J-O for a cup of joe. Uh, and the DBA is the uh, uh, Agricultural Commodity ETF, which includes all of the above commodities. And it also includes co other commodities to be affected by El Nino, which include corn, soybeans, and cotton. All right. So we recommended those. They're all higher, you know, from when we recommended them. Uh, the DBA had a nice buy point, man. It came down and tested some long-term support, actually at the two-year moving average, at the 38% retracement of the entire first move in food commodities, and now is looking to make new highs. And this will be really a beneficial thing to own into an El Nino for sure. It will help you keep pace with the, with the debasement of your money by inflation and by the printing of more money. Having said that, I want to give you some specific stories that have all come to light in the last really nine days. Nine days. All of these stories in nine days. Number one, India's monsoon season. Hello. Okay. Shortfall of 33%. Minimum, 33%. In other words, you're one-third short of the rain you should be getting to as much in some parts of the country as 95% short on the rain you should be getting through June, through the middle of June, which is peak monsoon season, okay? Well, the commodities affected by Indian, you know, drought, so to speak. And by, and by the way, the last El Nino in 2014 really just devastated Indian farmers. It really did. And you have a repeat of something that could be worse here, or probably will be worse. All right. What are the commodities? Sugar, cotton, rice, soybeans, wheat. Uh, they're major producers of all those commodities. Okay. Another story within the last nine days. 
India limits sugar exports. We want to make sure we have enough sugar domestically, so now we're not going to export sugar. All right, it's not a total ban, but it's a limit. All right. At the same time, it's affected Indonesia and a bunch of other countries, Senegal, for example, um, where they're now asking India to export them uh, so they can import wheat and rice because they're already looking at food supplies as being potentially drawn down as the El Nino worsens. Now, in the case of wheat and rice, there's right now India has enough crops to actually export some. So there's some aid now. It's kind of how this is even polarized just in the case of India, right? So we'll keep an eye on that too. Another story just came out. Uruguay declares a water emergency. You have the worst drought in the country in over a century, and you're now importing bottled water for hospitals. I mean, come on, think about this, man. This is serious stuff going on. All right, another story just in the last nine days in Peru. All right, record rain has led to record mosquito breeding, which has led to record dengue fever outbreak. 130,000 cases already is two times the previous record, more than two times. Previous record was 60,000. You have 130,000 cases of this, all right? Why? Because of El Nino. Another story. This is a biggie. All right. This might be the biggest of all. In fact, it is the biggest of all these stories in particular. The Panama, in Panama, the Panama Canal. I might have mentioned this before. I know I've been talking about this for a while. This story is about two weeks old. They have lowered the draft for the Panama Canal. To pass through the Panama Canal, you now have to have a maximum depth of 47 and a half feet, or is it meters? I don't remember. One or the other versus 50 previously. In other words, the max depth that your ship can go through the canal is going to have to be less because there's not enough water because the water levels are so low, they got to cut the depths of the ships. Now, how do you cut the depth of a ship? By having less stuff on it so it doesn't weigh as much. So in other words, less goods being shipped to the Panama Canal. Talk about supply chain issues already coming back and talk about a situation where you have supply chain issues and you have commodity prices back to the upside does that not sound like 2020 and 2021 to you it sure does to me all right we're not even talking about storms in the pacific ocean you realize that container ships have the largest loss of containers in history right now going on all right the people don't realize this you lose containers in ships when you know going across the pacific ocean in particular because of storms and because of rogue waves and all these different things there is record loss of containers on the oceans in the Pacific Ocean right now, too. So that's another thing. Just think about all these things and how they're only going to intensify for the next 18 to 24 months. This is going to go on, man. It's only just started. Let's talk about Mexico. Story yesterday, right? That birds of various species are dying by the hundreds because of the heat running consistently above 110 degrees. All right. And last but not least was the EU Commission, which came out with a report also yesterday, where they said that last summer's record heat and record amount of deaths from the heat was not a one-off. I repeat, was not a one-off. In other words, going to happen again this summer, already seeing it. And what's interesting is climatologists say, and I, I don't know whether I believe this or not, I haven't done enough research on this, but I'll just pass along what they say take it with a grain of salt or not, that the EU, for a variety of reasons, that Europe itself as a continent, so to speak, as a landmass, is the most susceptible to climate change and the most susceptible to the intensification of that vis-a-vis El Nino. 
Think about that one for a second. Think about that in terms of energy. Think of that in terms of, you know, China and Russia, you know, knocking at the door. I also want to kind of finish up by talking about Turkey. You say, well, why Turkey? Well, because what's happening is Turkey is notable because it's happening in other places. Argentina is one, for example, and to a lesser extent, even in a place like India. You know, where you're talking about a lot of people, man. Turkey is a country that is home to 80 million people. It's, you know, geopolitical importance is obvious when you look at a map. I mean, it sits between Europe and the Middle East. I mean, it basically is kind of this passageway, you know. So in that context, you know, you had a situation inflation in, in Turkey where inflation reached a high of 83.5% recently. 83.5% annualized inflation. Consider that, all right, number one. It has fallen. It's down to 40, as if 40 is low. 40 is insane. It means every two years, the price of everything doubles. Doubles. Now, the central bank's done a pretty good job, frankly, given an unbelievable set of circumstances. They took rates way up to 11.75. They brought them back down to, I believe, 8.5 is where it's at now. It's been there for a while. Some talk they're going to raise them again. We're going to see this week. It could be interesting. All right? But the more interesting facts are these. What this does to a currency, all right? Uh, they and, and here's why I'm telling you this, because of the story that came out also yesterday, where the Turkish uh, government raised the minimum wage. They raised it by 34%, which means in the last 12 months, they've doubled it, doubled the minimum wage, which is now 11,402 lira per month, all right, doubled from what it just was, which was, you know, obviously half of that, right? Whatever that is, 6,500, 6,700. No, less than that. At any rate, when you talk about what is 11,402 lira, how much are these people living on per month? Well, the current FX rate, current exchange rate, lira dollar, 23 and a half lira to get a dollar, that 11,400 lira minimum wage for a month is equal to $483, about 120 bucks a week. I mean, come on, think about that. It's like 20 bucks a day if you're working six days a week. In 2018, that same 11,402 lira, which is now worth $483, would have been worth $10,235. From $483 now, and by the way, the minimum wage was just prior to this year, $240 a month. They just doubled it to 480 and this is against 80% inflation, where basically every 18 months, everything you buy doubles in price. I mean, think about the hardship you're talking about in a place that you know, is home to 80 million people. It's mind-blowing. $483, which just 15 years ago would have been the equivalent of 10200 Imagine going from making, you know, what is it, uh, let's say, let's call it $140,000 a year. To making five thousand dollars a year in fifteen years, as prices for everything are going sky high, I mean, think about that, man. How, how do you protect yourself against that? Well, one of the ways, if you're in in Turkey, you do is you own gold. All right, in 1998, an ounce of gold cost a thousand sixty lira. Right now, it costs forty five thousand five hundred lira. It's forty five times more expensive. And that means that's 45 times less buying power of the currency. This is what's happening to every currency on the planet right now to some degree. It's just an incredibly egregious 
you know, outlandish degree in Turkey that we can note it and really hit it home with how severe this is for Turkey and how many places where the currencies are like that, like Argentina, like I've said, like South Africa right now where the currency is just getting bombed, all right? Even places like you know, Vietnam and Pakistan and some of these other countries. I mean, think about the hardship there with inflation that's really high and a currency that's being devalued at such a rapid rate as to only exacerbate that inflation as it relates to how much stuff the average person on the street can buy with their own currency, their own income, their own wealth. This is happening in the U.S. I'm talking about, look at the budget numbers we just talked about. All right. Quickly, I'll add as we if we uh, head out today, that number one, the ETF playbook again, all right, shows that what you really want to be in is Infotech. We're about 65% allocated to Infotech, and it has paid off big time. I really do suggest just check out the, the ETF playbook. I mean, sure, it's a business. Sure, we're here to sell that. But at the same time, it's a really inexpensive price. And really, the intention here is to help people. And uh, I know that my clients, you know, they, they think the world of it. We call it the research that pays for itself. Sales at Weldon Online. Dot com and you get this week's ETF playbook free. And I got to tell you, you want to want this thing going forward because you want to be in the currencies. You want to be in the bond markets. You know, you can play these markets from each angle too in some of these ETFs. So you don't necessarily have to have a futures account, even though I recommend that more than anything. We also do futures boot camps and stuff like that. I mean, I think the futures market is a phenomenal tool that gives you access and flexibility and liquidity in everywhere you just need to be adequately capitalized uh in that vein so again this is episode nine keep an eye on the el nino keep an eye on the u.s budget deficits these are things that are not going to go away these are things that are only going to get worse and these are things going to affect the value and the purchasing power of your paper money greg weldon money markets and new age investing episode nine in the books